0: Father, we can only come to you this morning on the basis of what your son Jesus has done for us. We can only be who we are because of who you have made us. And we only have what we have because of what you have given us. So Lord, what you have given to us and everything that you have made us to be, we lay now before you as a living sacrifice. We confess, Lord, that we are at times prone to stealing the glory that belongs to you and to you alone. So, remind us today through your word that whatever victory we may see, whatever success we may experience, it comes not because of us, but only because of Christ within us. So, Father, will you remind us once again of the victory that you have won for us, that you have now shared with us freely as a gift of grace through faith in Jesus Christ and help us to be people who give all the glory to you. So Father, today will you once again speak words to your gathered church that will edify us and glorify you. Father, sanctify us in the truth of your word. Your word is truth. Your word is truth is truth. Speak it to our hearts this morning and help us to receive it with joy. We ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. And as you find your seats this morning, I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your Bible. Judges chapter 4 and 5. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one underneath one of the seats near you. And if you don't know how to use a Bible, uh, for most of these Bibles, it's on page 189. I did the homework for you this morning just to help you get there a little bit more quickly, as Dave mentioned earlier, if you don't own a Bible, take that one with you as you go today. That's our gift to you. Um, But if you're with us today for the first time, my name's Taylor and I serve here at Cross as lead pastor. And what our church family has been doing for the last couple of weeks is we've been working together through the Old Testament book of Judges. And so if you've missed the first two Sundays, I'd encourage you to go to our website, just watch those first couple sermons because we lay a lot of really important background context and information that sets up the rest of the book. But today we're gonna jump right into Judges chapters 4 and five. Uh, The book of Judges, what it shows us at a high level is a really ugly picture of what happens in our lives, what happens in our world when we decide that we want to reject the word of God and the will of God to go our own way and do our own thing. So, for many of us this morning, you already know how this story is going to go before we even get to it because Judges repeats basically the same story in different forms over and over and over again. And it goes just like this. God's people enjoy peace and prosperity, but then they get lazy and and everybody just kind of starts doing their own thing. So they fall into sin. Because they fall into sin, the Lord allows them to fall into the hands of their enemies. As they're oppressed by their enemies, they cry out to God for help. God raises up a judge a military leader who rescues them from the hand of their enemies. Everything is right. The people once again have peace until the next story. And so Judges just repeats again and again and again. So again, this is one of those mornings that as we're going through it, you're, you're not going crazy. If you're like, I feel like I've heard this before, it's because you have. And you will continue hearing this as we continue walking through this book. And Judges is relevant for us today because the story of Judges is not just the story of Judges. It's our story too. We are people who are quickly forgetful. We fall into sin. We're oppressed by our sin. We cry out to God for help. God delivers us from our sin through faith in Jesus Christ. He shows us there's no obstacle too big for him to overcome, and yet we're quickly forgetful, and we repeat the same pattern again and again and again. But the common thread we see running all throughout the book of Judges is that in spite of our faithlessness, the Lord remains faithful to his people. Amen. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. I went to school up at Appalachian State in Boone, North Carolina. That's where I grew up and went to school there for a couple years. And um, it was back at the end of the 2007 football season, App State competed for what was then the one AA level of a national championship. They played that year against Delaware. And it was a big game because Joe Flacco was the quarterback for Delaware. Of course, he went on to win a Super Bowl with the Ravens and is still in the NFL today. And so it was a big game going into it. And I remember two things very vividly about this game. The first thing I remember is is that me and all of my dumb college friends, we dressed up in black suits because we were there to take care of business and we were gonna win a national championship and we were sending Delaware to their grave. That was the mentality and the thinking. So I remember wearing a black suit to the game. What I also remember is that our fan base did what a lot of fan bases do when you win a championship, which is we stormed the field. Which is all well and good. The problem is we started storming the field before the clock had run out at the end of the game, and I don't mean by a few seconds. I mean with like five minutes left in the game, students started pouring over the walls. Security was doing absolutely nothing to stop this. I mean it was honestly not a good situation. Um, our fan base was like behind the Delaware sideline, like we're talking trash as if we had actually done something, and 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 so this became a big thing. And so I actually pulled this up on YouTube this week because I just wondered what were the announcers saying while this was happening. And man, they were rightly just dogging all of us because this was not a good picture. Instead of the end of this game, being App State celebrating what was a blowout win for the national championship, all the talk was about how the fan base behaved and how we were storming the field before the game was over. Because here's the problem, guys. You know, if you're a fan of a team, you're invited to share in in the victory. What you're not invited to do is to steal the glory. And, and the same is true for us as followers of Jesus Christ. God has won the victory over sin, death, hell, and the grave through Jesus. And he invites us into that victory. He invites us into that story. But the one thing he does not invite us to do is to share the glory. Because what we see in our own lives and what we see time and time again in Scripture is that, guys, most of the time God doesn't win the victory because of us. Overwhelming majority of the time he wins the victory in spite of us. And so this morning, what we're going to see in Judges 4 and 5 is that the Lord shares his victory with us, but all the glory belongs to him. He invites us into his victory. He shares his victory with us, but he does not win this victory because of us. He wins it in spite of us, which means we can never be glory thieves. All glory alone belongs to God. So Judges chapter four, Dave has already read verses one through three for us together this morning, and what we see all throughout Judges chapter four and Judges chapter five is a clear picture of the victory that God has won in spite of his people. So what we see first this morning from verses one through three is that the Lord wins even when it looks like we're losing. Even when all the evidence is stacked up against us and it looks like we're losing, we can trust that the Lord is always winning. Here's how you see the cycle of judges repeating again here in chapter four. Verse one, we see the people again. Everybody say again. They again do what is evil on the side of the Lord. Verse two, the Lord allows them to fall into the hand of Jabin. So they're given over to enemies. And then verse three, the people cry out to the Lord for help. All throughout the book of Judges, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, you'll see that things tend to get progressively worse, both with the circumstances that people find themselves in and the quality of leader who delivers them from those circumstances. So what we see the first time, they fall into their hands of their enemies, this lasts for eight years. And then the next time it happened, it happens for 18 years, and now they've been oppressed for 20 years. We're told once again about chariots. You've seen this story before. We saw this back in week one. Jabin had 900 chariots. Now we've seen the Lord deliver his people from the power of chariots, both at the Red Sea with Pharaoh's army where God overthrew 600 chariots. We saw this in in Judges chapter one where Judah initially did not want to enter into the land because they saw the chariots. The Lord has delivered them from chariots. And so again, it just leaves us in this place of going like, what, what is the problem here? Like God has clearly proven that he can do this. Why is it that there's such a lack of trust? Well, th- you just think about this for just a moment. You know, Israel is still a new nation. They don't have this massive armory, this arsenal of weapons that they can go to, which is why last week, you know, for example, Ehud, he makes a knife that he uses to kill Eglon. And then you see Shamgar using an ox goad. And, and so they're already having to use kind of these makeshift tools. So it's, you know, it's not that a slingshot isn't a good weapon, but when the other team has tanks, You know, you're going to feel a little bit limited and a little bit overwhelmed and as if you don't have the firepower. But what they consistently forgot is in spite of what they did not have, they had the Lord who was able to overpower any enemy that was in their way. And they so quickly forgot this. They repeatedly forget these things again and again and again. No matter how many times it seems like the Lord makes a way for us in in our lives, no matter how many times he's delivered us from temptation or he's provided a need or he's just opened a door that we thought was going to be impossible for him to open, it's almost like every time we get to that exact same obstacle, we find ourselves going, man, what are we going to do? We so quickly forget how the Lord has delivered us in years past. Um, a couple weeks ago, January 22nd, this was, was the official, to the date, seven-year anniversary since our church family had our first public worship services over at Buford High School. Who was there on that day? Just curious. Awesome. Stayed with us today, seven years later. So um, what we've done with our staff and our elder team the last couple of weeks is we've paused on a couple of occasions just to recount God's goodness and faithfulness. And, and we've been asking the question, Man, how can we keep retelling this story? Because many of you you if, if, maybe just joined us in the last few months or if you're new, it might be hard for you to really appreciate the work that the Lord has done here among us. Because every single step, every single year of our church's story, we have faced something where we have scratched our heads going, how are we gonna make this work? So after meeting at the high school for a year and a half, we were told just a couple weeks before summer started that it was gonna go under construction. They were like, hey, you guys can't meet here. And we had nowhere to go. We're like, Lord, how are we gonna do this? And the Lord opened the door. We met at Islands Academy for the summer. Who survived that summer? By the way, you deserve this building. This is for you. The no AC island, people like literally passing out during service, it was nuts. The Lord opened the door at Islands Academy. We go back to the high school and we realize that's not going to be a long-term solution. Construction's going to keep happening. What are we going to do? The Lord opens the door to the YMCA. The YMCA, that they charge us very little during our first few years there. And that gave us the opportunity to start saving and start thinking towards the future. But man, we're a new church. We were less than five years old at the time. Banks don't want to talk to us. That they're like, see, you in 10 years, maybe, you know, if if you're lucky, Lord, how are we going to do this? was a gentleman who loved the Lord, who learned about our church, and he donated the vast majority of the property that we're sitting on today. And, and then we got to the place where we're ready to break ground. In the beginning of 2021, we had a building design, and then here, all of a sudden, inflation pops in, and the cost of the project doesn't just go up, it more than doubles. Lord, how are we going to do this? And throughout the course of the year, you just continued to generously give, you continued to be faithful, we continued to press in, and, and we, we, saw, we, we went through some redesigns, and we finally came up with a solution that was going to still work so that we can continue driving things forward. And so again, uh, elephant in the room you know, here in 2024. Now, I wanna just preface it by saying this. Last Sunday, I shared some statistics about how right now we are in the middle of the largest mass exodus of professing believers in the history of the Western church. And it's an ugly, ugly picture right now. But even as I shared the bad news last week, let me share some good news. On that same Sunday, you've already seen part of it. Last week, we celebrated eight baptisms, and we had our highest attended Sunday ever in our history with over 1,100 people here across three services. And so we just praise God. We praise God. But again, it brings us to this place, man. We've been in this building for seven months. Lord, how are we gonna do this? And so if you're new to the game, let me just go ahead and fill you in with the official answer. We're gonna do what we've always done, which is trust the Lord to make a way because he's never not made a way. Guys, we've been this way before. We have been this way before. And every single time we've gone this way, we have found that God has already gone before us. And it's not just in material provision like this. Like how, how many of us, man, you've got a battle against sin. You've got a battle against temptation that you're struggling with. And you've had some success here and you've had some victory here. But man, you know, I, I know the Lord's taking care of 600 chariots, but it's 900 this time. It just feels a little bit too much. Or, or you, you, you've just had a material need, a financial need. Man, how are we gonna do this? And, and it didn't make sense on paper, but God made a way. But this just seems a little bit too big, this go around. or or you're just looking at some type of challenge in your life, in your marriage, in your home, and the Lord has been faithful. He's sustained you. He's kept you. But it all seems a little bit bigger this time. God, you you can always trust the Lord to do exactly what he has said he was going to do, which is to be faithful in every circumstance that we face. Listen, no matter what the circumstances say, we can trust our God never ceases to be, be victorious. Church, listen, I know what our world looks like today. And please, let, me, let, me just, let me just let you take me off the pedestal here for a second. I know it's going to shock some of you. Believe it or not, like I don't sit in a room and just pray and read my Bible all day long. Like I'm in this world with you. I see it. I, I watch the news. I get flipped off in traffic just like you do. I get road rage just like you do. That's why I have like blacked out windows. Nobody knows it's me, right? Like I can just, just kind of hide. I, I feel it with you. I feel the tension of a world that feels like everybody feels like you're about ready to snap all the time right now. I know that a lot of statistics about the church and about our culture, and about everything, it looks like we're losing. What you and I can trust this morning is that even when it feels like we're losing, we can trust that God is always winning. He has never ceased to be victorious and he never will. Let's go on to read verses four through 16, and listen, y'all just hang with me this morning, some of these names and pronunciations. I kid you not, like I've literally got like a hooked on phonics post-it note right here to help me out this morning. I listen to audio Bibles of people who know Hebrew well, and if they pronounce it one way, I just assume that's right. So um, if I get any of these wrong, blame Ray Ortland. He's the, the voice I was listening to this this week. Let's read verses four through 16. Now we're introduced to to our next judges. We have Deborah and Barak, and let's listen to their story. It says, Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel came to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kedesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord... The God of Israel commanded you, go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun, and I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with the chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. And Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go, but if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you were going will not lead to your glory for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kedesh and Barak called out to Zebulun and Naphtali to Kedesh. And 10,000 men went up at his heels and Deborah went up with him. Now, now, pay attention to this detail. This seems random here in the middle, but this sets up where we'll go in just a little bit in verses 17 through 24. It says, now Heber the Kenite had separated from the Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and has pitched his tent as far away as the Oak Inn. Pause here for a second. Zayonanim, Zayonanim, hooked on phonics, nailed it this morning, which is near Kedesh. When Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him, from Heresheth Hagoim up to the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him, and the Lord routed Sisera. Everyone say "The the Lord. Who routed Sisera the Lord and all his chariots, all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Harasheth hagoyim And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. The Lord wins. The victory belongs to him. The Lord wins even when it looks like we're losing. Second, we see that the Lord wins in spite of when his leaders are not leading. Here, we're introduced to a couple of more important figures in this book, and we see here the stories of Deborah and Barak. Now, you know, of all the negative aspects of the book of Judges, one of the more positive aspects is the book of Judges really takes a favorable view of women, particularly here in the early chapters. We saw two weeks ago, Aksa, who was the daughter of Caleb. She marries Othniel, and we see her really eagerly pressing in to settle the promised land to receive everything that the Lord desired for them to have. So, Today, we're introduced to two more women. The first is going to be Deborah. The second is my favorite female character in the whole Bible, and that's JL. We'll get to her story in just a moment. We're told of Deborah that she is a prophetess. Now, uh, biblically, the gift of prophecy is twofold. Prophecy involves both foretelling, which is predicting future events, and it also involves forthtelling, which is simply speaking forward the word of the Lord. And we see Deborah doing both of those things here in this particular text. Now, I want to just go off to the side here for just a moment. Because this is not the 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 explicit point of this text this morning, but this is important because this text is often a flashpoint when it comes to discussion about how men and women should relate to each other when it comes to leadership within the church. You know, we see Deborah and Barak working alongside here, and so um, there's a couple of different extremes that we can take with with this position. You know, one is basically to say, "Hey, passages like this show us that there are absolutely no distinctions whatsoever." Um, But on the other side, you've got people go as far as to say that Deborah was in sin because of what she was doing. And I don't think that's there at all. And so I want to make sure we have a healthy understanding of what's here. This can be a tense subject, but I believe if we rightly understand what's getting across to us in this passage, we see a beautiful picture of what God intends for the relationship between men and women when it comes to leadership within the church. Now, as a church, we're not ashamed of this. We're not embarrassed of this. We're excited about this. We actually think this is beautiful and true. Um, We believe that God has ordained from the beginning of creation for men to serve as the spiritual leaders of the home and of the church. We don't believe that's about holding on to some oppressive, misogynistic, patriarchal structure because we don't read the Bible through a Marxist lens. We we just take what it is that comes to us as it is. And so we believe that rightly understood, rightly applied, rightly interpreted, um, this is about men serving as loving, sacrificial leaders in the home and the church. Now, uh, what we never ever see in scripture is then permissive for men to do that in an authoritarian or domineering manner. And unfortunately, I know for many of you, I talked to some folks after our first service today, like that's your story, is, is even when I talk about men serving as loving spiritual leaders, unfortunately, maybe because of your background, what you just heard me say is women are just supposed to sit down, be quiet, and let the men do the leading. And that's not at all what we're saying. Like, we'll meet you there. Like, man, that may be your background, and we would be the first people to say, hey, that's not what God intends. If we look really, really closely here, we see a picture of what this should look like when we come together. If you look closely at this text, what we'll find what's a little bit different about Deborah's story here and the role that she's serving is if you go back even just one chapter, um, what you see in chapter three at the calling of Othniel, for example, and also the calling of Ehud, we're specifically told that the Lord appointed them and raised them up as deliverers. And we'll see the same with Gideon next week. We're gonna study his life for a few weeks. And chapter four doesn't say that the Lord raised up Deborah. It just says Deborah, a prophetess, was judging Israel at that time. So you ask the question, well, then how did she get there? Well, we find out from the mouth of Deborah down in verse six, how she got into this position. The Lord had actually called Barak to do this. This is from the mouth of Deborah. She goes to Barak and says, "'Has the Lord not commanded you?' Has he not commanded you, go get the army, go take 10,000? He has said, he will draw out Sisera's army. He will overthrow Sisera's army at your hand. And so pay very close attention to what's happening here. Here is Deborah affirming, Barak has the one that's been called to do this, but in no way, shape, or form does she try to replace him. She reminds him of his responsibility. And so when you see their relationship and how they work together here, even on a negative side on the part of Barak early on here, we actually see a picture of how we should be cooperating together. Deborah's serving in this role because Barak has left a leadership vacuum here. God had called him and he he abdicated his responsibility. He sees those chariots and he says, that's too much. And listen, this is an age old problem that runs all the way back to the foundations of scripture. I hope you understand that, that humanity's fall into sin. Mankind's fall into sin. It did not start with Eve taking a bite out of an apple. It started with Adam being passive as a husband. Because the Lord had given the word to him. He was responsible for stewarding that and shepherding that. And he failed in his responsibility. And so once again, we see the consequences of a man who is failing in his responsibility to lead. But she doesn't try to replace him. She reminds him. And so look at just kind of the give and take that happens in this text. The Lord calls Barak, but he does not respond to the Lord's call. And so Deborah exercises the full expression of her spiritual gifts. She forth tells, she speaks forward the word of God to him and holds him accountable. Has the Lord not commanded you? Go get the army. Go meet Sisera. The Lord will give you victory. And then you have Barak. He, to his credit, he says, okay, I'll go, but I'm not going unless you go with me. Listen, she's got a lot more faith than this dude does, Right? And he wants that faith on on his side. He's like, I'll go, but I'm not going without you. And then it's back on the other side. Hey, I will go with you, but understand, she kind of keeps his feet on the ground. You'll have victory, but the Lord alone is gonna get the glory. And it's just this beautiful balancing act. You see that God has designed us as men and women as equal in his sight, but we fulfill unique and distinct roles when it comes to leadership. So the picture that we see here is this. It, It is the pressing on of Deborah to Barak. You have a responsibility to lead. And it's Barak responding saying, I will lead, but I'm not going without you. And so so men and women, like, understand, like, this is the debate that happens at the extremes of the church today, and neither one of these is supported in the word of God. You've got the one extreme of men saying, hey, we're the leaders, we're the man, you're the woman, you sit down, you be quiet, we're in charge, you do what we say. And and that is a complete abuse of what God has laid out in his good and perfect design, and we would reject that completely. But on a more liberal extreme, way over here, it's, it's more informed by feminism, and it's a mentality of women saying, hey, men, anything you can do, we can do better. And the Bible is neither one of those extremes. It is men and women working together, fulfilling their unique God-given roles, where men or women are reminding men, "Hey, you are called to lead," and men saying, "We will lead, but not without you." Women, please understand, like we need your gifting within the church. We need your gifting within the church. God has uniquely gifted you for the building up of the body of Christ. And I don't say this this morning in any type of patronizing, like falsely humble type of way. I hope you understand. Our church family would be an absolute mess without the ministry of women. This, not a single email would get sent out. Like nothing would be... Nothing would be planned. You wouldn't have a worship guide. No, emails wouldn't give us. I mean, it would just be an absolute mess. And I don't just mean in basic administrative things. I went through, I just made a list because there's several women that I really just want to highlight who, who are just day-to-day fully expressing the gifts that God has given them for the building up of the body of Christ. And we are so much better because of it. You look across even just our staff, Uh, Leandra Livesey, you don't see Leandra up front as much, but her role behind the scenes, she is implementing all, and I mean all, of the strategy and the infrastructure that's necessary to support the mission and vision that's been set forth by the elder team. Monica Wilkinson, spearheading women's ministry leadership to hundreds of women in our church. Ashley Paxton, newer to our staff, administrative ninja. I would not get a single thing on my calendar if it wasn't for Ashley. She keeps us organized, she keeps us efficient. She makes sure that, that as you give, that your resources are being stewarded, Properly by making sure everything is accounted for. Erin Schrands just joined our staff over our connections ministry. She leads all of our first impression teams. Our, we had our largest Crosspoint membership class ever just a couple of weeks ago. Erin's first time leading that. Cross Connect, we got off the ground last month. It's coming again next week. Carolyn Leslie this morning faithfully serving all of our pre K kids every single week. And that's a lot of kids, in case you have not noticed. My wife, Emily, she's our communications director. All of our emails, all of our social media things, um, I, just honestly, some of the emails you get from me, that came from her, we're married, it still counts, it's fine, and that's, that's, that's her. She's all, your worship guide this morning, that's, that's from her. Ruth Lambert, running our, our food bank out at St. Helena Elementary School. Carmen Marflack, she was here in the first service this morning, prayed for me this morning. Prayer warrior, and, and she's spearheading leadership to widows all through our church. She's on the mission field, what feels like every other week. All of these women and just dozens of others, men serving in kids, serving with students, you've seen it on the worship team this morning, serving community groups, serving as Bible study leaders. We see all across the board, our church family, we praise God for how we flourish because of the gifts and the contribution of women. So ladies, please do not overstate what an absolute mess the church would be without your gifts and without your faith. And men on the other side of that, please don't overstate the mess that's created when we fail in our responsibility to lead. But let's follow the example of Deborah and Barak this morning. Ladies, when we are failing to lead as God's called us to lead, you have permission on the authority of God's word to hold us accountable and to call us to fulfill the role that the Lord has called us to fulfill. And so you have permission to challenge us whenever we are not upholding our responsibility. But men, when we take up that responsibility, we don't have permission to leave the women behind. It's the give and take. You go lead. Yes, I'll lead, but you're coming with me. That's what we should see happening. And that's how we should see this flourishing within the church. I, I love this little, this little uh, side agreement here once, once Barrick finally does agree to go. And you, you just see that this, this little gentle gesture here that, that Deborah does and, and something she says that really just kind of keeps Barrick's feet on the ground. Because I think Barrick could quickly forget he was like a scared little boy that wanted nothing to do with this, but now he's gonna get victory. And, and guys like Barrick would quickly go from being the scared guy to claiming credit for all this. And, and so here she is functioning just to, to kind of keep his feet on the ground. He's like, I'm, I'm going and, and you're coming with me. She's like, that's fine. I'm going with you. But just remember, you'll see victory, but God gets glory. God is gonna be the one who gets the glory here. And I think like my, my own marriage in particular, my wife, Emily, she, she is just that constant grounding force in my life. When it comes to our church, y'all, I just live with my head in the clouds all the time. I mean, I am excited all the time. Like, I'll call her on my way home in the afternoon and be like, man, I think God's calling us to do this next. And we have this meeting, and we're planning this, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do that. And she's like, cool, great, awesome. Just make sure you stop and get bread at Publix, you know, on the way home. Like, and— like, Seek Week, like, man, we're amped up, we're, we're going after this, we're going to see people come to know Jesus. She's like, that's fine, but as you lead them to Jesus, don't forget to take our boys to that birthday party, right? Like, it's just, just that constant grounding force, and she's keeping his feet on the ground. God's going to get the glory here. But the good news we see from this passage is that even when we fail to lead as we should, God never fails to win the victory for his people, And here we're introduced in verses 17 through 24. I kid you, this is my favorite female character in the whole Bible, is a woman named Jael. And you're gonna find out why. It says in verse 17, "'But Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, "'the wife of Heber the Kenite. "'For there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hotsor, "'and the house of Heber the Kenite. "'And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said, "'Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me. "'Do not be afraid, narrator. "'He should have been afraid.'" So he turned aside to her into the tent and she covered him with a rug. And he said to her, please give me a little water to drink for I'm thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, stand at the opening of the tent. And if any man comes and asks you, is anyone here, say no. Just read the Bible to you. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her head. Then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, "Come, and I will show you the man whom you are seeking." So he went into her tent, and there lay Sisera dead with the tent peg in his temple. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan before the people of Israel, and the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. The Lord's always winning. Even when we're not looking, the Lord is always winning. He's winning even when it feels like we're losing. He's winning even when his leaders aren't leading. Third, we see the Lord wins by defeating the enemy while we're busy looking. We're off chasing chariots, we're off trying to get the glory in the battle. We're we're off in our own strength doing our own thing. Meanwhile, God's taking care of the enemy through a young woman with a glass of milk and a railroad spike. Got it handled. Got this handled over here. You know, I I, uh, I feel like as I read this this text of scripture this morning, you know, you've heard of the Proverbs thirty one woman. I feel like our church is more Judges chapter four energy. Like I think, I, I told Emily and Monica that like, maybe our next women's event we should give out tent pegs and hammers. Like, that's, that's kind of what we're after. I always said, the Lord gave me three boys. I always said if we had a daughter, at least her middle name would have been JL. Emily disagrees with that. I think I could have won that. But, but I, I love this story. I mean, just this absolutely unsuspecting person off to the side. The, the Lord has set this up in such a way where it's like, Barrick, you're not getting the glory here. And it's just that subtle reminder. He does not need a single one of us. We'll see this over the next few weeks as we study the life of Gideon. God always chooses these incredibly unsuspecting, just at times even unwilling people from the most unlikely of places to bring about his purposes for the glory of his name. And we we need these reminders every once in a while. The Lord does not need any single one of us. We're busy chasing chariots. He's winning the victory to the side. This is who he is. You know, uh, just another JL type of figure, a woman who's just been a giant in the history of the Christian faith. This is a name some of you are gonna recognize. Um, If you're like me, grew up in the Southern Baptist Church, you probably recognize the name Lottie Moon. If you know that name, why don't you just lift up your hand this morning? Man, what an incredible story. What an incredible story. Lottie Moon um, was a prolific missionary born in 1840. She served 39 years on the mission field, mostly in China and her story is is one of you're really coming from some wealth that had deteriorated a little bit post civil war and and she traded really all, all of her taste and like southern charm and delicacy and comfort she traded it for dirt floor poverty among those who were far from jesus christ and and so she spent most of her time in China. Um, she faithfully spread the gospel. She was responsible for for sustaining many churches that were struggling during this period of time. She started schools um, at this point in time in China. She was very justice minded. Many went. Many young girls uh, they were practicing. There was the practice of feet binding, just this abusive practice that would break um, their feet down and keep their feet really no more than about three or four inches. And and so she saved about a third of her female students from going through this type of treatment. But one of the marks of Lottie Moon's life, if you really go back and read some of her letters that she wrote to some of the missionary unions, one of the things she was known for was the rebuke of men who failed to go to the mission field. You know, she took a lot of criticism where people would be looking at the work she's doing. They basically be going, "Well, that's something that a man should be doing." And her response was basically like, "Sounds good, but none of you are here." And so she took up the mantle of responsibility herself. And, and her legacy has far outlasted her death. She died at the age of 72 at all of four foot three inches tall. And at the time of her death, she weighed no more than 50 pounds and only had about $250 of inflated local currency to her name. And yet this is her legacy. And uh, back in the late 1800s, the Women's Missionary Union started a missionary offering that in 1918 was redubbed the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. And in the century since this offering has, has had her name attached to it, more than $5 billion with a B dollars have gone into the pockets of international missionaries. She is driving tent pegs into the head of the enemy long after her death four foot three, 50 pounds, filling a void that was left by others who refused to go. And that is her life. That is her testimony. That is her legacy. And and this, guys, this is just how our God operates. He chooses the people other people wouldn't have chosen. He chooses the people that, that everybody else overlooked, the apostle Paul talks about this in first Corinthians chapter one. He reminds them, he reminds us listeners. He's like, listen, like, like you guys weren't, weren't the most wise. You weren't the smartest. You weren't the most educated. You weren't the most powerful, but this is what God does. He says, he has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the wise. You're chasing the glory of pursuing the chariots. He's getting the glory with a glass of milk and a tent peg. This is just how he operates, and the place that God's most glory, glory was most powerfully displayed, the place all of us would have been last to look, God did not bring ultimate glory through the conquering power of chariots. He brought ultimate glory through the conquering power of a cross. The last place any one of us would have looked for deliverance and hope in salvation is the very place by which God brought forth deliverance and hope in salvation. So yeah, he, he shares the victory with us, but church, this is why all the glory alone belongs to him. We're busy chasing chariots. He's busy winning the battle. Now, chapter five, I'm not gonna read this morning. I've sent my email the last couple weeks. We're covering big chunks every week. And what chapter five is, is the song of Deborah and Barak. It's a song that they sang together. And it's a song that basically retells the story of chapter four. Um, Judges chapter four and five are set up in a lot of ways like Genesis one and two, where Genesis one really gives us the creation account. And then Genesis two retells it in a more poetic form. That's basically what Judges four and five are. Judges four tells us this is what happened. And then Judges five, As a song elaborates on it a little bit more and tells us how it happened through a song. And why a song? What why is it? Why do they respond with song? Because, guys, singing is what you do when you're on the team that wins. It happens in the Army-Navy game, it happens with middle school boys after they win a basketball tournament. It happens with with any team that wins something. We sing for a reason. We are the champions because singing is the natural response of people who know they've already won. So we know that our Lord is always winning. He's winning even when it looks like we're losing. He's winning even when his leaders aren't leading. He's winning while you and I are over here busy looking forth. And finally this morning, we see the Lord wins through the praises of the songs that we are lifting Judges 4 tells us what happened, and now we get this poetic expanded retelling of how it happened. And Deborah and Barak lead out in this song together. It tells the story of everything we just read about in chapter 5. The song tells the story of how terrible the circumstances were and how desperate the people were for the Lord to intervene. It tells of how the Lord raised up leaders who willingly followed them and who came after them. What you also learn in this song is that the way the Lord delivered the people was through the power of a storm. And that was probably big news to their enemies because they worshiped Baal, who was supposed to be the storm God. And here's the God of Israel using a storm to overthrow them in his strength. The song tells the story of how the Lord once again delivered them from their oppression and stood in victory above their enemies. So the natural response of the people is to rejoice in all that the Lord has done. Listen, is, is this not true of the songs that we sing every single week? Are, are the best songs we sing not the ones that just simply retell the story? The, the best songs we sing simply recount what God has done. We, if you didn't pay attention this morning, the three songs we already sang, the one we're going to sing in a moment, it's basically the same story again and again and again, right? because it never gets old to sing the good news. You know, if you're you're not a music person, if you're you're kind of cynical when it comes to that, like, well, why are we gonna do all this singing every single week? So, So let's answer that question today. Why do we sing? Why do we sing? Why do we sing when we come together? Why do we lift up our hands? Why do we lift up our heads? Why do we lift up our voices? Why do we shout for joy? Because these are the things that you do when you know that you've won. We sing when we know that we've won, and we're a people who know that we've won. The only reason to not sing is because you don't know that. It's because you have not yet tasted in the victory that God has won and has invited us into. So so let's go to the opposite side of the story that I started out with this morning. No, we don't storm the field to steal the glory. But man, we do storm the field to share the victory. Doesn't matter how much time is left on the clock. Let the celebration start early. We know how this is going to end. We know how this is going to end. No matter what it looks like, no matter what we think could maybe happen, we know at the end of the day, this story goes like this. Our God has won. And he shares that victory with his people. And so as we close this morning, I want to give us just two simple challenges as we respond. This is what we do with this as we go. Listen, our God has won. Our God has won. So live and lead with the confidence that he's won. I know our world looks like a mess. I know the statistics. I know the facts. I know what you're seeing. I know what you're feeling. I know what you're hearing. I know it looks at times like we're losing, but we're not. Even when it feels like we're losing, we can trust our God is always winning, which means men or whoever you are in a position of leadership, men, step into that position. Embrace what God's called you. Don't worry about failure. You have God on your side. Embrace your calling, rise up. Men, there are serious consequences in our home, in this church, in our world when we forsake our God-given responsibility. So so women, we, we invite you, challenge us to take up our responsibility to lead. And men, the challenge to you is as you lead, we can't leave women behind. Let's live and lead with the confidence that we will win. And we can do this second as we wait and worship with the confidence that the Lord has already won. He has already won. We can live and lead with confidence that we'll win. We can wait and worship with the confidence that he has won. And so this is what we're going to do in just a moment. We're going to sing this song that we've been singing for the last several weeks. And how about you? I've been humming the bridge of this almost everywhere that I go, especially in some difficult moments. I know how the story ends. We will be with you again. So if you do nothing else this week in response, in just a moment, church, let's sing like we've won. Amen? you bow your heads with me as we close together this morning? In just a moment, we'll take communion together, and communion reminds us of the victory that's been won by Jesus Christ. It reminds us that the battles over, the victory has been won through the life, death, and resurrection, his broken body and shed blood of Jesus. We can freely receive salvation as a gift of grace by faith in his name. And so as we prepare to partake of the bread and the cup this morning, let's lay before the Lord areas where we know we have fallen short. Let's come to him in confession and in repentance. Lay lay your fears before him. Where, where, Where are you struggling to see that we are winning or that we have won? Ask him today to remind you of his victory and his power and his strength. Church, we know how the story ends. We will be with him again. So Lord, set our eyes on that day, set our hearts on that day, set our minds on that day so that even when the facts of our circumstances tell us a different story, we can respond in faith of knowing how the story ends. In So as we respond this morning, Lord, in confession and repentance and singing and praise, will you be glorified in the response of your people? We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said,